Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. A terrifying accident causes two ghosts to walk the halls of this middle school. And then we travel to Pennsylvania to take a look at the story of a man who spent many, many nights being abducted by gray aliens. Ever since he was a child, they would appear in his bedroom, take them aboard their ship, and do painful experiments on him. But this night, the experiments stop. This night, the terror ends, because this is the night when the gray aliens get blown to bits. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. So first off, running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Everyone get on your feet. Give a loud round of applause for Cree Master Cycle. Woo, yay! Wee! Ha ha! Yeah! Woo-hoo-hoo! He's running on into Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Master Cycle recently posted their Spotify wrapped on their social media that shows how much they listen to Dead Rabbit Radio over the year. And that's a great way to get the word out about the show. I say all the time, if you can't support the show financially through the Patreon or through the merch store or through the YouTube memberships, that is fine. It really, really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show, and that's exactly what Cream Master Cycle did. So, Cream Master, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Let's go ahead, Cream Master. I'm going to toss you the keys. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Drive us all the way out to Illinois. Nice, leisurely drive across the highways and byways of the United States. We're headed all the way out to Illinois. Specifically, we're headed to Abingdon. And even more specific than that, we're going to Abingdon Middle School. So grab your book bags, your backpacks, whatever kids call them these days. Get your fidget spinner. Actually, that's old school. Get ready to phantom tax some kids. So we're walking through the cafeteria. I'm hip to the new lingo. We're headed into Abingdon Middle School. We have a very specific destination, the gymnasium, or as kids call it nowadays, gym. We go to the gym. These kids are all playing basketball. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. I'm just like that famous basketball player. Basketball goes in the hoop. Get out of the way, kids. Get out of the way. We're on a ghost hunting mission. We're making our way through a sea of eighth graders playing basketball. Now, in the gymnasium at Abingdon Middle School, there was stairway access up to the third floor. I don't know for sure if the third floor covers the entire middle school building. While I did look up some details about this middle school, I couldn't really find any good photos or layout. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised they don't have layouts of schools that you can easily search online for any paranormal researcher or robber who wants to go in and steal all of their PTA money. It's hard to get blueprints for a school. I don't know if there's just a third floor built above the gymnasium. I don't know if the third floor extends past that 
But if you go into the gym at Abingdon Middle School, there is stairway access that leads up to a third floor. And you'll see also a walk area. There's like a walk area above the gym that has guardrails on it. So you can kind of walk in this area up there. Abingdon Middle School used to be a high school, so it would make sense that they had a more elaborate gymnasium type area. Middle school, you just need like a four square and a tetherball and a basketball hoop. You're good. But in high school, you're like, hey, these kids might actually be able to get a scholarship. Let's have let's have at least two basketball hoops and a regulation sized card. I don't know. Maybe I'm going too crazy. You go to the, this used to be a high school. You go to the gymnasium, go up those stairs to the third floor. And if you go up there, there's like a speech classroom. It's a small classroom. And there's even like a small set of steps leading into this small speech classroom. I Maybe you have a picture of what I'm talking about. You're like, Jason, yeah, steps, I guess, in a small room. Give me the ghost. I'm getting to the ghost. I'm getting to the ghost. I was just trying to paint a picture. Trying to paint a picture of what this looks like. Well, anyways, let's go back to the early 1970s. Apparently, this place is haunted because of something that happened in the 1970s. There was a teacher there. Let's call her Samantha. And she's there with her daughter, who we'll call Becky. So Samantha is the teacher... She brings her daughter, Becky. Now, Becky's really young. She's riding on a tricycle. You can kind of see where they're like, wow, a tricycle stairs and a ghost story? Mm, I wonder what's going to happen here. Samantha goes upstairs with her daughter. I guess the mom carried the tricycle. It would be horrible to make your daughter do that. But takes this tricycle upstairs and goes, now, remember, baby Becky. I don't know if it was a baby. She's a really bad mom. She's like, oh, what? how old are you? I'll just call you baby forever. Baby Becky, you can ride your tricycle around while mommy's in this classroom. And Becky's like, yay, mommy. And Becky's riding this tricycle around upstairs. Well, apparently she ended up biffing it. Becky, you guessed right, was riding the tricycle and... Went down the stairs. She's like, look at me, I'm the original jackass. Ah, she's all falling down the stairs. Hella hard. Baby Becky, no! She's tumbling down each and every stair. She's dead. The girl dies going down all these stairs in her tricycle. And her mother is so distraught. <laughs> now here's the thing. You're like, wow, Jason, why are you laughing at this? Uh, let me Let me finish before you unsubscribe. You're like, dude, I just listened to a podcast. And this guy was laughing. Because this little girl bailed down a bunch of stairs. He actually said she biffed it. Compared her to Johnny Knoxville. What is this madness? The mother, Samantha, was so distraught over what had happened that she hung herself. <laughs> that's not that. That's less funny. Now, now you're even more depressing. Let me tell you. Let me finish the story. It's not like a clown showed up. It's like, that's all, folks. Samantha kills herself because she watches her daughter tumble down the stairs and die. Obviously, Samantha would be, you know, you'd feel a little bit responsible, just a little bit, just like maybe 10% responsible. You did, after all, carry a tricycle up a flight of stairs and then let your daughter ride around multiple times, just ride around upstairs while you were doing whatever. You'd feel a little bit responsible. Samantha killed herself over this. The ghost story as we hear it today is that sometimes when you're in this part of the school, you can see the apparition of Samantha. And those are fake names we gave them, but you can see an apparition of this mother, this teacher, holding, not necessarily holding. The ghost story goes that to this day, sometimes you can see the mother and her daughter Still in the school. Still just kind of like walking around. Which would, if you're a teacher being trapped in a school forever, I'm sure that's fine. You'd probably be confused. You're like, what in the world's Riz? What does that mean? As a kid trapped in a school forever? Oh, that would be a nightmare. That'd be horrible. Like, sure, you might have a lot of cool friends. But come on, like, that would just be annoying to be like a kid trapped in a school forever. There's also, so sometimes you'll see the ghost, but more 
commonly, and even this is quite rare because paranormal activity tends to be quite rare, you will hear the sound of a tricycle tires screeching like she's trying to slam on the brakes. And then you hear a woman scream out, No! No! My baby! You'll hear the mournful wails of a mother who lost her own child. And you go, Jason, what's funny about any of that? Why were you laughing at any of that? Well, here's the thing. I will give myself this. This is one of those stories that I could not find any proof that actually happened. So, in a sense, I was was laughing about a hypothetical child dying and the mother killing herself. I I obviously would not have been laughing if I knew for a fact these people existed. We don't know for sure. I I think it's interesting because we don't know how long after the daughter died that the mom hung herself. We don't know for sure. And I don't, I mean, because I don't think it would seem odd if your child bailed down these stairs and died and then you were mournful and then you're like, "Uh, well, you know, I did bring this noose to work and then hang yourself. I'm trying really hard not to laugh. You're like, Jason, just whatever, man. I would be odd if she killed herself right afterwards. Like, as the medics are picking up your daughter, you hang yourself. That would be (laughs) shocking, to say the least. I'm not going to say that it's impossible. We don't know how long it took between the time that the daughter died and the mom hung herself. I, I wonder, like, so your daughter dies at school. She falls down the stairs and dies. Would you hang yourself at the school? And the reason why I'm saying that is because it's weird that the mom's ghost appears at the school. And really, we'd have two different hauntings here. I should have said this, too. The screeching of the tricycle tires and the no, the screaming and the mournful wailing of the mom. That's what we would call a residual haunting or a recorded haunting. That's not like a real interactive event. You can't go like, oh, I'll save you and then like jump in front of where you think the tricycle is and like save the day. It's just it's just an event that keeps playing back. The mother and the daughter walking around being sighted there, that to me is probably more of like them being there. So you could interact with them. You could try to contact them. But why would the mom's soul be at the school? And you go, well, that's where the daughter died. And if the mom killed herself at home or at a hotel or whatever, you think that couldn't she bring the kid home? There's no home where the best western, kiddo. Sorry, there's no toys. Uh, don't open the fridge. You're gonna have to pay for that stuff. You know what that actually? And well, I could go on and on, but I actually this just popped in my head. You know how sometimes ghosts will appear, and then when they're not there, we go, "Well, where are they?" Like we assume they're still in the house. We assume the mom and the daughter are still in this school. It's just occasionally we can see them. What if that's not the case? What if, like you? When you're not at work, when you're not at work, your boss isn't like, well, I know he's still here. I just can't see him. Maybe if we get this Ouija board, let's bring out the Ouija board, call him forth. People go, oh, he's not at work. That must mean he's at home or he's at Chipotle. He's watching a movie, whatever. They don't think you've now just entered the ether, yet you're still connected to your place of work. But we do that with ghosts. What if when your ghost... It isn't visible at a house, it's just visible at another house. Like someplace else you just hang out, you're like floating around the Chipotle, they're like rice, it's just magically getting, I would be the Slimer ghost, right? You'd just see this guy going, eating up all the burritos. Like what, that, that would be a game changer, wouldn't it? If it turns out that the same little girl ghost in your house who's like standing in the darkness, just kind of like, Staring at you menacingly as you're trying to sleep. You can feel her eyes on the back of your head. You're like, ah. Is also the little girl ghost who is like floating through a Toys R Us looking at toys. Like, wouldn't that be... I guess I guess it's not that big of a game changer. But what if ghosts haunt multiple locations and they are places they were tied to? Because we see that with famous ghosts, right? We'll see like Teddy Roosevelt's ghost haunts his old house as well. As his mistress's bedroom that's in Arlington, Virginia, or whatever like that. Like, We'll see famous ghosts do that. What if not famous ghosts do that as well? What if when they're not at this house... At, I mean, what if when they're not at this school... 
there back at her place. Because I don't think she killed herself out of the school. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be unlikely. It would be unlikely. Because we know she hung herself, according to the story, if, if this family, if these people ever existed. Because, and again, we don't know. One last thing, <laughs> Jason, you still didn't explain where you're laughing so much. We talked about this last week. We talked about this on yesterday's episode, too. Sometimes there will be a haunting and people will make up a backstory to explain it. It could be, right, that they had a bunch of freshly cooked cupcakes on the back of a tricycle and the cupcakes fell down the stairs. No kid, no kid. And the mom was like, no, cupcake. He thought it was the nickname for the little girl. Oh, my cupcake. Oh, oh, cupcake. Look at you. You're a mess. Oh, no. And they thought that it was really the ghost of a mom wailing out for her child who's dead at the bottom of the stairs. Right? So in my defense, there could not be any dead. The mom still kills herself. She's like, oh, I put so much time into those cupcakes. Ah." Who knows? But anyways... An interesting ghost story. It seems like it's just a basic ghost story on the level, but it does raise some interesting questions. Also, apparently, this wing of the school is no longer in use. So it, you, if you go up to the stairs, like everything's kind of shut down above on this third floor above the gym, which could be that they didn't want to maintain it. It could have been some sort of safety thing, but we do see public buildings do this from time to time. A place gets a reputation for being haunted and they just close it off. They just go, oh, we don't need that wing anymore. We don't need that little room up there. We don't need that walkway. But it may, and that may be the case, but it could also be the case that they've had too many sightings of disturbing activity up there that it's better just to not use it at all and wait a couple years and then the ghost stories, the ghost visions just kind of die down over time. We've seen that happen at other schools, colleges, and so on. Because no one wants the press that your school is haunted. Greenmaster Cycle, let's go ahead and touch the keys of the Carpenter Copter. We're saying goodbye to Illinois. Fly us all the way out to Pennsylvania. We're headed out to Pennsylvania. We're headed back in time a little bit. Early 80s. And we see this bedroom. It's decorated in all the early 80s stuff. A poster of Indiana Jones whipping some dude. Some Nazis getting whipped in the face. There's a gizmo doll from Gremlins sitting on a dresser. There's some Star Wars figures spread across the ground waiting for waiting for Dad to step on them and yell in the middle of the night, Damn it, kid! And in bed, in this very 80s-fied bedroom, we have a boy named Philip. That's not his real name, but we're going to call him Philip. And all of these toys, he loves them. He doesn't know you fan of Star Wars. I mean, just a little bit of spoiler alert. Not a huge fan of Star Wars. He's like, ah! He only has the human characters. He's like, oh, Luke, you're my favorite. Ever since he was six years old, and that's kind of where we're starting this story, he's about six years old, he'll be laying in bed and all of a sudden there's a bright light. And the next thing he knows, he's strapped down to a table in an alien laboratory. Gray aliens are walking around him. These four feet tall, big-headed freaks with giant black eyes and tiny mouths. Very thin limbs. And they're reaching up and they're putting acupuncture needles in his skin. As other aliens are ready in their testing equipment. Shoving stuff into his body. Eyeballs. Tongue. Fingernails. Nothing is off limits to these spacefaring freaks. They're running experiments on this little boy, and they do it all the time. Not every night. Philip says it wasn't something that happened every night, but trust me, man, if this only happened to you once a year, it's going to leave a mark. Although the aliens can heal the physical wounds, it's going to mess you up, and it happened more than once a year to Philip. He would tell his parents, he's like, hey, uh, mommy, daddy, 
last night, I talk like a kid. He goes, hey, mom, dad, you guys won't believe what happened last night. He's all rubbing his eyes. There's like blood shooting out of his ears. He's like, ah. They stuck some needles in my eyeballs last night and then some sort of screwdriver device. They shoved it and I could feel my eardrum pop. Mom, dad, the aliens are abducting me at night. They're doing these horrific experiments on me. The parents are like, whatever, Philip. We don't believe you. Aliens aren't real. They're not having these experiments done on you. He's all radiating. He's all glowing green. He's like, ah, like what other experiments went wrong? He's turning into a monster. They're like, whatever. It's all in your imagination. You've seen too many sci-fi movies. Just a dream. All the excuses, right? And Philip, he said, I just stopped telling them about it. He goes, I never really told anyone else about it. My parents didn't believe me. I knew it was real. I knew it wasn't just a dream. I knew it wasn't my imagination. And it was something I learned to not live with or accept, but to kind of mentally prepare himself for. He knew it was going to happen, and it could happen on any given night. He would go to bed, and he would wake up aboard this alien vessel. Sometimes he would see him walking around in his room, too, which, I mean, at that point, they're just kind of teasing him right at that point. They're like, hey, look at it. They're doing a little routine in his room. Nowhere safe. Nowhere safe from us. Well, eventually, he grows up, and he becomes a young man, and he gets his own place in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. And when he moves out, now he's like, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to get proof, and then people will know I'm being abducted, and it won't just be me, right? Maybe I can prove that this is a real threat going on. Everyone's in danger. This isn't just about me. At this point, he would have heard stories about abductions. He'd have been following kind of the alien news. He probably would have been into, he's watching the X-Files, he's like having PTSD. You would be aware of it because the aliens, the gray aliens, were starting to become more and more pop culture at this point. Now we're in the 90s. Yeah, probably about that, right? If he was six in the early 80s. So anyways, he gets his own place, let's say late 90s. He sets up video cameras to record what happens while he's sleeping. And he goes, I would get abducted by aliens. They would do all sorts of these horrible experiments on me. And then he's all he's all laughing while they're doing it. He's like, ha ha ha, these fools don't know I have them on video this time. He goes, when they put him back on Earth, he would check his video cameras. He goes, they weren't even on anymore. He goes, it was like I didn't even set them up in the first place. So that was a little disheartening. He didn't have the proof that he wanted. He wasn't going to be able to prove to anyone else that these aliens were doing this to him. So he went with his plan B, which would have been my plan A. He bought a handgun. He bought a 9mm handgun and slept with it under his pillow. And he goes, okay. So, you know, the I tried being nice. I let him abduct, abduct me for years and years, over a decade. Well, now I'm going to just shoot one in the brain. That'll teach him. I'll have an alien corpse. They won't mess with me anymore. And he has this loaded handgun under his pillow. He goes to bed. He wakes up on the alien vessel. And he he said, he goes, I should have really kind of thought about that. They do paralyze me, right? They do paralyze me. They've probably been shot in the head quite a few times over the course of human history. Probably some caveman put an arrow through one of their eyes at some point. He's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. They're not going to let me reach for my handgun. I wasn't able to shoot any of these. And this continued. Even as an adult, even though I moved away, these aliens kept abducting me. Until the fateful day of July 15th, 2001. July 15th, 2001. It's late at night. Philip, Philip, a man who probably dreads sleep more than most of us. He's like, oh man, oh no, he's all crawling into bed. He's like, great, probably going to get abducted tonight. Well, actually, you know what's interesting about this one? Looking at the account, he says in his account that he was home alone. He was living by himself in his apartment. And he said he was, quote, called to the room of my apartment. That's how he phrased it. So I don't know if that was some sort of like, Mimic voice, impersonating someone to go in there. I mean, he did live alone. So if you heard any voice, you know it's uh, not human. 
I don't know if he was lured there by the aliens. I don't know if they're like, Philip, we're here. Which, you know, in a sense, like, if you heard that, if you were sitting at home alone and you heard a voice say that, you'd run. You'd run. You'd book it because you knew you were home alone and you heard a voice letting you know that they're here. But if you'd been abducted for, yeah, you know, probably 14 years at this point, would you? Because you know they're going to get you no matter what. All they're going to do is they're going to get you, and now this time you're sweating and you're going to have cramped legs. They're like, ah! They're like, don't worry, we have a cure for that as they're shoving needles into your calves. He went to the room. He goes, they called to a room of my apartment. I went to the room, there was a bright flash. The next thing I know, I was laying on that table, completely frozen. And he said that the greys did what they normally do. They have these acupuncture-type needles. Very painful procedure. These acupuncture-type needles that they shove into his chest, into his stomach, and into his neck. And they would often do different things, different experiments. This one, they were shoving a tube into his throat. And while the aliens are doing this, the other aliens setting up this machine to run the test. This is all just like basic stuff for them. No more than a scientist who's collecting worms to look under a microscope or whatever scientists do with worms. Fishing, they're like, oh, it's our day off. Go on fishing. When all of a sudden he's strapped down to this table or he's frozen in place on this table, all of a sudden a group of gray aliens run into the laboratory and begins speaking to the experimenters. He doesn't say that he can understand them, so they must be speaking in some sort of alien language. He just hears them talking to each other, and the and the scientist greys are kind of like, bloop, 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 bloop. and the ones who just ran in were like, bloop, 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 bloop. and they all ran out of the room. This has never happened before. This has never happened to Philip before. He's frozen on the table. He's like, what? What could possibly have... Well, I mean, he's glad, right? He's like, he has all these needles stuck in his chest, a tube in his throat. He's like, well, you know, this war flesh is like already stuck. At least the aliens are gone. I know, she's not far. That's when he feels the table that he's frozen in place on, this operating table, this experimenting table, whatever you want to call it. That table begins to shake and then he hears it the sounds of weapon fire and explosions begin to echo through the rest of this facility. After a couple minutes, this tall figure walks into the room. And Philip, for 14 years, he's had to deal with this. It's painful. But this is the first time in a long time he's been scared. Because he's gotten used to the appearance of the aliens and what they were going to do. He knew it was never going to be fun. But now he's seen something he hasn't ever seen before. A different alien. Philip said this tall figure walks into the room and it's wearing some sort of armor. Has a blank face mask, like a visor over its face has also some sort of protection, and is carrying what he described as a assault weapon-looking rifle. And he's really made no mentions of weapons at all, except for the 9mm he had under his pillow. It's not like the gray aliens were packing anything. He sees this tall figure walking in, carrying this rifle, wearing this armor, and... It walks up to Philip and takes off her mask. He describes this alien 
as having a... <laughs> Get ready, furries, because this is stories for you. This story's for you. A dog-like face with bright orange eyes contrasting against its blue fur. So it's a big blue dog in body armor carrying a rifle. Philip's totally freaking out. He's never seen anything like this. He doesn't understand what's going on. This alien goes over and starts fiddling with controls, fiddling with some of the controls. And all of a sudden, Philip is unfrozen. It doesn't say specifically, but I'm sure the first thing he did was pull the tube out of his throat and remove the needles. But he's unfrozen, and this alien, this dog alien, helps Philip sit up. And she looks at Philip and goes, Are you alright? She speaks English in a very feminine voice. And he goes, Yeah, what what's what's going on? Like, what's going on? What what I was just getting attacked by these gray aliens. It's kind of normal for me. I'm not, not like I'm a big shot or anything. But uh, they do seem to like my DNA. What's going on? And that is when this dog alien says, My name is Boudica. And I'm here to help you. Let's, let's go. Let's go, young man. And she helps him off the table and leads him out of the... Laboratory. As they're walking through this vessel, this starship, he begins to see dead gray aliens everywhere. There's just a pile of them here, a burnt out corpse there. There's one over there that seems to be cut in half. Boudica is leading him through the vessel and he sees all of these dead gray aliens and he sees all of these other alien species picking up grays and carrying them off, sometimes only holding half of a gray alien's body, carrying it off somewhere. And one thing he starts to notice is that when you look at a dead gray alien, you could see inside of them servos or mechanical joints exposed after taking weapons fire to the knee. Wires sticking out of a dead gray stomach. He says as we're walking through the vessel, he goes, I saw some of these aliens taking these gray bodies somewhere while other aliens were at control panels. Typing in, typing in command codes. And Boudica says, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. I'm sure all of this is blowing your mind. Let me tell you a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, first off, we apologize for what's been going on, not just with you, but with many, many humans like you. Right now, we're overriding the commands of this ship. We're going to end up destroying it. Because it's being used by the Greys in a way that was never intended. On the other side of the galaxy, there is a whole host of alien worlds that, over the course of time, created the Union, which is a collection of planets that have decided to band together for trade purposes and for exploration. We're always looking through the galaxy for other worlds that we can talk with, that we can build relationships with. However, space travel, it takes a long time, even with our level of technology, it takes a long time and it's arduous. It's not safe to do. And the galaxy is such a big place. So a long time ago, the Union came together and we created the Greys. We created these cybernetic organisms. And their goal was to go out and find new planets. And then we would come out and establish communications with them. But we've had Greys go rogue. 
This seems to be a problem with the design. And some greys have begun coming to planets, Earth specifically in this case, and are off mission. They were never designed to abduct people or to run experiments on them. For whatever reason, they are doing this on their own. And when we find them, we will destroy them. But because the galaxy is such a huge place, we got to find them first. We happen to stumble across this ship, and that's the result. We came in, we blew apart, blew all these greys apart. We had this firefight. We're taking the ship. We're going to blow it up. We're going to dispose of these greys. But we're really sorry. That was never why they were built in the first place. Boudica also explains, this is very interesting because a lot of times I've harped on the gray aliens. The fact that they have the giant eyes, the theory would be for a life form to have that big of an eye, they would have had to lived in a super low light area. Their eye has to be giant to absorb as much light as possible in a low light area. But having eyes that big, like where's the one place you don't want to get punched in the face? Your eyeball. You don't want to lose your eyes. If your eyes are that big, it makes you super susceptible to permanent damage. Our eyes are small for a reason. There's been talk. This, a, gray aliens being cybernetic. That's I've heard that theory for years. A lot of times people will touch gray aliens and they say it doesn't feel like skin. It almost feels like some sort of protective garment. It's like a rough plastic type of touch. We covered a story a long time ago. I don't know if I can find it, but one of someone reached up and grabbed a gray alien by the eye and pulled it off. And it was actually a visor. Actual eyes are smaller than that. It's almost like a motorcycle helmet type thing. Giant heads, small bodies, it all seems so weird. Boudicca goes, we designed them like that on purpose. The reason why we made them four feet tall with very thin limbs is because they're not threatening. If they built robots that looked like giant tall dogs with blue hair, people would probably freak out more. So we actually chose something that universally looks childlike. We designed them this way to be as less threatening as possible. They don't evolutionarily make sense. But they're designed that way. And at that point, another alien comes up to Philip, is described as an eight-foot-tall reptilian with a red feather crest. Everyone knows I love dinosaurs with feathers. And he goes, Philip, how long... I don't know if he knew his name. He goes, young man... Um, how long have you been being abducted by these guys? And that's when Philip says, I don't know, probably like 15 years maybe. And the reptilian goes, so sorry about that. So sorry about that. I mean, that's a long time to be traumatized. They feel bad about it. It's almost like if the government created like a rogue unit. It's almost like if the government created like a unit of soldiers to go behind enemy lines and they ended up becoming super corrupt. Apocalypse Now, where you're like taking over a civilization type of thing. Okay, sorry about that. Sorry about that whole um, inhumane things that we were responsible for. He goes, don't worry. It's never going to happen again. We're going to take care of it. Boudicca, this is another interesting detail. Boudicca tells Philip, hey, um, we did invent the greys. And we sent them on this mission. However, they're able to do things we don't know how to do. And one of those things is teleporting you back into your bedroom. The great aliens have developed technology to pull you in and out of a location unseen through teleportation. We haven't figured that out yet. So we're not going to be able to just drop you off back in your bedroom without doing this. And she has this wand and she taps him with it and he passes out. The next thing he knows, he's back in his apartment. That was the very last night he was ever abducted by the gray aliens. He, his theory, he kind of put together the theory that it's possible that once this union, once this alien union of planets, this confederation, 
is able to take care of all of the gray aliens that we may then be invited into the Union. Because the gray aliens did serve that purpose. They found a planet teeming with life, teeming with intelligent life. But the first thing they want to do is clean up this mess. This mess that they caused. And try to undo all of the horrors that they've unleashed on this planet. Maybe then they'll invite us to join in on this galactic brotherhood. It's a super interesting story. It was originally reported to New Fork, which I believe is the National UFO Research Center. I think is what that stands for. It was originally written up by them. The story of Philip, which he didn't give his real name. It explains some of the stuff, like why gray aliens look so odd. It wouldn't make sense for a species to really develop like that. But, you know, in an alien world, we we don't know how life would evolve, but it just, some of the stuff doesn't make sense. We've also heard stories, like I said before, of them being cybernetic organisms. People saying they don't feel like they're real. You would have to think that if you did create a cybernetic race, and these, if this theory is true, these gray aliens, they would have to have some semblance of intelligence themselves. They would, over time, end up developing their own culture, and they would, over time, end up developing their own technology. So it is possible that they would develop something that the Union was not aware of. You would think, you know, it's a super interesting story. We still are having abductions by gray aliens and gray aliens visiting Earth, if you believe the reports. You would think it would probably behoove the Union to just have a ship orbiting around us. Just in case, right? Just in case one of these other ships are taking people on board, they could then take out the gray aliens. But again, we're assuming a lot of stuff. We put a lot of Earth assumptions into this. This was an actual ship that the Union intercepted, that took out. But we don't know if that ship was in Earth orbit. We don't know if that ship was floating somewhere around Pluto. We just don't know. And I do think that a large amount of UFO abductions, they probably don't take you aboard a ship. I think you would have a UFO, you would have a small craft come over your house and abduct you, but then I don't think you're actually taken to a mothership, there's probably bases on Earth. Underwater bases, bases in caverns, bases out in the wilderness, cloaked buildings that you would take people to. You're not always going to take someone back to your mothership to experiment on. But you might sometimes. Because if there were a bunch of ships up there, you figure our satellites would be crashing into them, or we would be able to every so often see some activity up there. So I think you would have, it would be much easier to send a craft over, a like a cloaked craft over an apartment complex, abduct a person, and then fly him 500 miles south to an underwater base off the coast of Mexico. Versus trying to, I mean, because here's the thing, we don't cover a lot of them, it doesn't happen all the time, but UFOs do get shot down. We do see those stories pop up from time to time. So if your whole operation was terrestrial, you're really, really cutting down on the risk of crashing into something, getting shot down, getting tracked. And exp and that's for Earth technology. If you know that there's another race out there that is actively trying to destroy you, you would want to keep all your operations covert. Because the gray aliens, even if they knew, it would be one of those things, even if the gray aliens knew that they were designed by the Union, if they didn't believe all of a sudden that they had evolved, if they were designed by the Union, say, five, 6,000 years ago, maybe even longer, that's enough time to develop your own culture. That's enough time to develop your own system of beliefs. So you may think that you know better than the Union. You may think that the Union is, all they care about is exploration and trade. They want to communicate with these life forms. We have a more noble purpose. We want to find out how life exists. Great aliens do have a weird fascination with the human soul as well, which would make sense if they were a cybernetic organism or just souls in general. But it would make sense because if you're a cybernetic organism, you wouldn't have a soul. You'd be trying to figure out what that was. That would be off mission, though. This 
alien empire, they're all organic beings. They all have souls. Humans have souls. And then you create an entire race, a fleet, an armada of aliens who don't have souls, and they start to question that. They want to figure out what's going on. That, that In the scheme of things, that would make sense. It sounds like a great idea for a story, too. And they would go rogue. And the fact that they developed teleportation technology to go from a spaceship or like a, you know, like a smaller scout ship in Earth's atmosphere, teleport someone from that into a bedroom. Who knows what other technology they have that makes it even harder for the Union to figure out. This story, if we take it at face value, it happened back in 2001. 2023, we can really kind of rack up the numbers of how many people are seeing gray aliens still. The number's probably not insignificant. I mean, out of a population of 7 billion, it's probably, I'm just going to spitball, but it's probably about 100,000 people on the planet who have been visited by a gray alien. I'm just pulling out of thin air. It could be way higher or way smaller, but there's not a lot of accounts of people running into blue-furred dog people. We're not seeing that. So it would make you think that the Union is having a hard time intercepting the Greys. They're just having a really, really difficult go at it because we're not getting other accounts like this. It could be that they are trying to do this across the galaxy, that the Grey aliens have spread to these other planets. We think Earth is so important because we live here, but there could be planets where the Grey aliens have an even stronger foothold maybe even completely taken over certain planets and the Union has to go fight them up. Or the more disastrous answer for us would be that the Union has either abandoned Earth in any attempts to try to save us or the Greys have beaten them back. The Greys have developed technology the Union wasn't ready for and they've basically considered this region of space a no-go zone. Because we're just not seeing more of these types of encounters. It's still people being abducted by gray aliens. That's the main encounter we get from UFO reports. Other than just looking up in the sky. The number one is I looked up in the sky, I couldn't identify something. I saw a vehicle, it was weird. That's the number one UFO report. It's an interesting story. It really like just builds on all of those uh, tropes, right? Intergalactic wars and... Good guys and bad guys and laser guns and all sorts of cool things. We don't know if any of it's true. It's one of those stories that I think that even if you didn't believe in aliens, I think the idea of there being a galactic brotherhood out there, that someday we will raise ourselves to a level where we can communicate or we will be communicated to by some alien intelligence. And we'll realize that not only are we not alone in the universe, but the universe is a friendly place. I think that is the key. That the universe is full of good-hearted alien races who just want to explore and expand in not-so-antagonistic ways. I think that's really what every UFOologist or people who are just fans of the material hope for. But that may not be the case. There may be a union, but they could have created a monster. In their quest to make spacefaring exploration easier for themselves, they've unleashed a cybernetic organism on the galaxy. A race of greys that are traveling far beyond their home empire without any of the controls, any of the humanity, for lack of a better term, that their masters had when they created them. A cybernetic organism that travels space doesn't care about the dangers, doesn't care about the damage that it inflicts on the living people or living aliens that they find on a planet they discover. It doesn't matter to them because they are cybernetic. They're cold, unfeeling. They have no soul. 
the Union may have created them to make things easier for this galactic empire. But for any planet outside of the safety of its borders, they've unleashed a monster. A monster that preys on humans, even children. A monster that seemingly can't be stopped. Can't get rid of them. We can't stop them ourselves. Our government is powerless to keep us safe. Even their creators can only hope to take them out one ship at a time. A terrifying, unstoppable enemy to all living things in the galaxy. And on any given night, while you crawl into your bed to try to get a good night's sleep, these gray aliens can be watching you from the darkness. Deciding if tonight's the night they take you. Deciding if tonight's the night that the terror begins. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.